All right, let's go ahead and come before the Father in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've shown us in your word how to fight our battles. Thank you, Lord, that though it looks like we're surrounded, we really are surrounded by you, an all-encompassing Father. That you love us, that you never leave us or forsake us. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what comes our way, you've said in your word that you would give us wisdom if we ask for it and discernment which comes from your spirit. So, Father, as we talk a little bit about what that looks like on the pilgrimage that we're on tonight, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes. Father, if there's anything in our life that you've been trying to show us that we're hiding from or holding back from you, Lord, I pray tonight that you would just break down those walls. I pray, Father, that we would surrender everything that we have to you. And in doing that, Lord, we say thank you that you help us fight our battles, that we are not fighting any of these battles alone, that you are with us every step of the way. So Holy Spirit, I pray one more time this evening, Lord, that you would just work through me. I pray that you would speak through me. Father, I pray that you would empty me of myself. And that the words that come out of my mouth would be directly from your heart. We love you, Holy Spirit. Do your way. Have your way in us tonight. We invite you here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Long time ago, a woman asked me why I always pray every time I speak. She said, why are you doing that? They just prayed before. They prayed at the beginning. And they prayed when, when they got done with the worship. And I said, it's very simple. I never want to assume that I can get up here and do anything outside of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Trust me when I tell you my children hear me speaking in my flesh every day and I'm told it's not awesome. And so I want to be up here speaking to you in a way that is communicating God's incredible love for you. Women, do you know how loved you are? Do you know how loved you are? A friend told me one time, she said, Heidi, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He loves you. He loves you. The Bible says that he loves you so much that he sent his son for you. He came to set you free. I said it last night, and I'm going to say it again. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the healer. I was talking to Kristen a while ago about where healing comes from and how do we find true healing. I thought this would be a good place to talk about uh, discernment, but I want to I bring something up that was brought up before in the, in the Q&A. By the way, there was two questions that I wanted to ask, but I didn't because I got a little, I was all fangirling back there and I couldn't do it. I was sweaty, sweaty palms. I was like, I want to ask you a question, but I was too nervous. So that's okay. <laughs> My first question was, if you went to, if you grew up in the church and later you said you became a Christian, my, my, my initial question was, what denomination did you attend? Because there are lots of denominations. It requires discernment, women. And that's why I'm bringing it up. There are lots of denominations out there right now who are going to say that they're, that they're gospel denominations, but they're not teaching the gospel. You have to know the gospel, women, the ABCs of the gospel, that God loved you so much. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that no one should perish, but every one of you who believes on his name would have eternal life. That's God's heart for you. And I'm asking her, what church did you go to that you didn't understand? that. Who has, who has a guess in here? I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I had two guesses in my head and I was right about one of them. Catholic would be a good guess. I've known a lot of people. Actually, I know a couple of born again Catholics, but not very many. Why? Because they're not telling the gospel story. It's Christ and Christ alone, right? So yeah, my other guess was a Lutheran church and that's, that was where she went. She went to a Lutheran church. And listen, 
I'm not condemning the Lutheran denomination, but I'm telling you right now, women, if you're going to a church where they are not preaching the gospel, Christ crucified for the salvation of your sins and what it means to walk in right relationship with him, run because you're not born again without that basic information. This is a life and death struggle. We got to know it. And the second question that I had was with regard to prescription drugs. And a lot of you have come up to me this afternoon and asked me questions about it. And I want to clarify just a couple of things. I know in a room this big, with this many women in it, there are a lot of you who've experienced this and maybe you are experiencing it right now. The Bible says in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not here to speak condemnation over your life. And there was a season of my life when the medication that I was on helped me to think more clearly so that I could use them as a bridge to get where God wanted me to be. I don't believe that he wants us to be on medications for the rest of our lives. But you know what? There's a stigma, and I want to clear it up, because for the woman who came to me in tears today who felt like somehow she was blowing it and she was sinning, that is not God's heart for you. All right? It's not God's heart. His heart is that you would be healed. And that's what we want you to hear, that healing is found in Jesus. It is not found apart from you. You're not going to find it at the bottom of a prescription drug. You're not. The healing that you need is found in Jesus. He's the one who heals you body, mind, and spirit. That's who does it. And we want, I want to clear that up. And if any of you wants, uh, we're going to actually have an opportunity to pray with you tonight. But I know that there are some of you who are wrestling with that. And this is something we wrestle to the ground because we know that God loves us and he has freedom for us. Some of us hide in the bottom of a bottle. Some of us hide by staying on Facebook all day long and not actually looking at the problems that, we're, that, that, we, that we need to address in our lives because we don't think we can handle it. And God's saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. He wants to extend his hand to you this evening. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity as we're talking about this tonight to just reach out to the Lord and take it because he is the healer. He is the healer. So we've talked about, last night we talked about the battle for truth, right? So we talked about the beginning of the pilgrimage. Every single one of us starts out heading for truth. We are born into a world that the Bible says in Genesis is fraught with deception. So we know that we live in a world that is ruled by the prince of the power of the air and it is full of deception. How many of you guys have seen that in the church today? How many of you are watching it in your communities and play out in your government and in your schools? That's because the Bible says that this world is a fallen world, that sin has separated us from God. So last night we talked a little bit about the journey towards truth, all right? And then today we talked about how that truth leads to transformation. Remember we talked about that this morning? The gospel doesn't leave you where it finds you. It moves you to transformation. It moves you to a place of victory. God has victory for you in your life. Do you know that tonight, women? Do you believe it? God has victory for you in your life, victory in your relationships. He has victory for you in your marriages, victory for you in your family of origin. He really does. Many of you have heard me talking about my, my family of origin and growing up in a home that was less than idyllic. And I was a senior in high school when this, I was a junior in high school actually when the principal of my school had my father arrested. And about a year and a half after that, my father left our home and he never came back. And my mother, the, the Portland police moved my mother and five of us children to a safe house where we stayed for a couple of weeks. I understand the pain of abuse. I understand the pain of separation. And you know what? Someone said to me one time, she said, Heidi, I had no idea that you came from such a place. You seem so filled with joy and there's no seam about it. I am filled with joy because God comes into a heart that is broken and he makes it new. That's what the healer does. And I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about my relationship with my dad. She said, what is your relationship with your, with your dad like now? And I thought, you know, that's a really good question and it's worth answering. The Lord has been writing what I call an epilogue. 
to my story for many, many years. It has taken a long, long time for me to find healing with my father. But you know what I've been doing? I've been pursuing it. How do you pursue it? You pursue it in the power of the Lord Jesus. You do not let a past relationship define your future. You don't let somebody live rent-free in your head. It takes discernment. Father, is this the time that you want me to pursue reconciliation? Is this the time? And if you don't feel that freedom from the Lord, don't do it. Someone asked me the other day why, when I decided to write Becoming Mom Strong. It's an amazing story of healing that God's been doing in my life because I knew that I knew that I knew that God wanted me to write that story and I remember the moment that he set me free to do it. And you will know the moment when God sets you free. You gotta be listening. The truth leads to transformation. It will transform your relationships. My father is in a wheelchair now. He was diagnosed with a, with a degenerative muscle disease about six years ago. I would not be surprised if he does not live through the end of next year. And I've been going over to see him and going over to talk to him and just asking the Lord to perform a healing work in our hearts. You know, women, that God is in the business of restoration. He wants to see you restored. And did you know that you can forgive someone without them ever asking for forgiveness? Did you know that you can do that? Forgiveness is what sets you free. You deciding to forgive someone even if you don't get the apology that you so desperately want. We don't forgive for the other person. We forgive because it's an act of obedience. God loved me. He forgave me. I forgive my father. I forgive. That's what happens when the, when the truth of God's word enters into your heart. It leads you to transformation. You know what that transformation does, women? It sets you free. It sets you free. Years ago, I asked the Lord to help me be the mother that my children wanted me to be. When I was pregnant with Savannah, I'll remember, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I, was, I went to a childbirth education class. These are the classes where they lie to you. And they tell you that if you breathe a certain way, it won't hurt, is <laughs> a lie, <laughs> right? But I didn't know that. I was too young. And I went to this, uh, to this uh, childbirth education class, pregnant with my first daughter, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. Everybody shuffled out on the last night of class. We'd practiced, you know, changing diapers on uh, toy dolls, and we'd talked about the, the breathing exercises and the, and the uh, stages of labor and delivery. And when everyone left, my husband and I were still at Nola's house, and I sat on the, I was sitting on the couch, and I just started crying. You guys will never see me pregnant, because the uh, uterus has left the building, but if you had ever had the opportunity, I mean, my tummy stuck out to here. I was one of those women that just like, didn't knock from the side or anything. My husband would be like, we need to put like some sort of warning flag on you, because from the back, you look so harmless, but then you turn, it's like, look out, get out of the way, she's gonna take you down, <laughs> right? And I'm sitting on Nola's couch with this baby in my belly who I've never met before. And I could feel her hiccuping and feel her moving and feel her kicking. And I began to cry because I knew that I knew that I knew that I did not want to pass on the legacy of abuse and hurt that my father's father, my grandfather had passed on to my father and my father had passed on to me. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I did not know how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't want my daughter to fear me the way I feared my father. And so I began to cry and Nola came over to me and she put her hand on my belly and she said, why are you crying? I said, I'm afraid. She said, sweetheart, why are you afraid? Your body was made for this. I had no idea how bad it was gonna hurt. I wasn't worried about my body. I was worried about my daughter. 
And I finally told Nola, I said, you don't understand. And I began to explain to her just a little, tiny, one, one millionth of the feelings that were coursing through my mind and my body at that moment because I knew that any day Savannah was going to make her entrance into this world and I wanted her to be free. And Nola looked at me right in the eyes, you guys, and I'll never forget it as long as I live because this was the beginning. I was 21 years old of a true transformation in my life. She said, Heidi, you don't know who you are. You're new. God's made you new. And if you ask him, if this is your prayer and you walk with the Lord, you will live to see your daughter set free from a generational sin in your family. You got to believe it. You got to own it. You got to walk in it. This is God's heart for you. He's the healer. And you know what? I'm not a perfect mom. I have yelled at my kids. I slapped them around a few times. Anybody slap? Don't raise your hands. They'll arrest you. (laughs) I'm not a perfect mom. But I'm here to tell you right now that God has done an incredible work of healing in my life that has allowed me to raise seven children free from the fear that I grew up in and that my father grew up in and that his father grew up in before him. God is the chain breaker. He's the healer. And I asked the Lord to set my daughter free so that my grandchildren could be free. And when Savannah was 20, 21 years old, she was pregnant with her first child. And because I was, had been a childbirth educator and because I had seven babies and felt like I was pregnant almost every, every day of my life, uh, I had a Doppler. And Savannah came over. She was about six weeks, seven weeks along. And, and uh, I said, I wonder, I wonder if we could hear your baby's heartbeat. Let's see if we can. Let's see. So she lay down on my bed upstairs. You guys know what I'm talking about? And we, we listened, just really quiet. <coughs> Lots of goo. Listen. And after a couple of minutes, we heard the most beautiful sound. You guys hear your baby's heartbeat ever? Most beautiful thing ever. And you know what I did in that moment? I bawled like a little girl because that was the Lord answering my prayer for the next generation. He said, because you believed in my healing and because you walk according to my word, this little one will be set free also. So not just Savannah to be set free, but her son and his son and his son after him, because this is God's heart for you. The Bible says that the one who God sets free is free indeed, and you are free in every way, but it comes through walking in truth toward transformation. And women, if you want to live in transformation, you've got to understand discernment. And so I'm going to talk about some hard things with you tonight. We're going to talk about some issues that are happening in the culture that are going to require you to be eyes wide open, asking the Lord to show you exactly what he means. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And I want you to understand, as we talk about these tender topics And as I dare to broach them with you, I want to tell you right now, we are not speaking out against a group of people. We are speaking out against wrong thinking. People who have been taken captive by the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. We have got to teach our children to stand for truth the way that God defines it. And the only way that you can do that is to understand how to be discerning. As I've been studying and and refreshing my memory over the story of the Pilgrim's Progress, I thought about 1 Peter chapter 5 again. I'm so sorry. I was going to try to wear this to look cool, but I'm way too hot. Okay. So the Pilgrim's Progress teaches readers, right, 
how the devil attacks, what strategies he uses, and how to defeat him. This is why the book is so important. You should have received it on your table tonight. If you didn't, come talk to Alana or talk to me. We'll make sure that you have it. Women, you got to understand how important this is. It's Spiritual Warfare 101. When Apollyon, the name of the devil in the story is Apollyon, when he argues with Christian, he tells him that serving the Lord Jesus is going to cause him nothing but trouble. He tries to discourage him. He meets him in the valley because that's where the devil loves to meet you. He loves to kick you when you're down. He meets him and he says, listen, you want to serve Christian? You want to serve the Lord Jesus? It's going to bring you nothing but trouble. And in the middle of their argument, Christian remembered how to pray. And you know what that prayer did, women? It gave him courage. That prayer, his decision to stop listening to the lies of the enemy and instead turn his mind heavenward and experience the transformation that God had for him gave him courage. And as Peter put it, the Lord will make you strong. I do not want to encourage you to look for strength anywhere but through the Lord. The Bible says that he trained your hands for battle over and over and over in the word of God. You will read about the journey that you were on. It is fraught with difficulty and lies and discouragement and despair. Remember what I told you last night? Where are you going? Where is your destination? Is this your home? No, the Bible says this is not your home. You are not of this world. We are aliens in this world. We are just passing through. And if you want to get to your destination, which is heaven, and get there with your soul and your spirit and your mind intact and hear well done, you got to understand how to be discerning. So what is discernment? Discernment is the ability to think biblically about everything that you do. In other words, you take God's word and you use it as a grid. And everything that comes down through, down at you, you filter it through the grid of scripture so that what comes out on the other side has been informed by scripture. Spurgeon said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. You remember that blog post that I read you today? I love Jesus and I cuss a little. This is knowing the difference between right and almost right. I have a child who really struggles with math, and she gets so close, <laughs> so often. And I'm always like, so close. But that's actually wrong. And this is what we're struggling with in the culture today. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. And if you're gonna understand what God says is right, it will require discernment. I believe we are living in incredible times. I said this many times, it's the perfect storm what you're seeing in the culture right now, a time of incredible deception and a generation of biblically illiterate Christians. So men and women who want to wear the name of Jesus, we want the, the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy, but we don't want to pick up our cross. We don't want to study his word and we cannot defend it. This is an incredible time for the enemy to come in and lie to us about something as simple as male and female. And we are so deceived in the culture right now because we have turned our minds over to the enemy that we are arguing about science that has been settled for millennia. This is the work of the enemy. So how can you know what truth is? This is the question that we, that we get asked all the time. Well, how do you know what's true? Maybe your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and truth is subjective. But listen to me, women, very carefully. The Bible teaches us that God defines truth. You should write that down. God defines truth. Heidi St. John doesn't define it. Alana doesn't define it. Your pastor doesn't define it. He should teach it, but he does not define it. Do you understand what I'm saying? God defines truth. How do we know? We turn to the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 160. All your words are true. 
all your righteous laws are eternal. I love that he says the word of God is gonna last forever. The Bible says in Isaiah that the grass will wither and the flower will fade, but God's word is gonna, ha- is gonna hang around for how long, women? Forever. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm banking on forever. You see, God's laws, according to the Bible, are like the laws of gravity. Gravity does not care if I believe in it or not. I learned this the hard way in Detroit one year. I was up on a stage that was actually, it was embarrassingly high. And I missed a step. And I fell down the stairs in my high heels, which is why I've changed into my Mr. Rogers shoes. You're welcome. I fell down the stairs, and as I grabbed the railing to keep myself from hitting my face in the concrete floor, I twisted my shoulder. I had to get up and speak after that, and I was like, gravity. You see, gravity doesn't care if I believe in it or not. If I decide to walk off the stage right now, gravity is going to have its way, and God's laws are the same as gravity. Gravity is even less eternal because this world is temporal than God's laws, and God says his laws are going to last forever, and so we need to know what they are. John 17, 17 says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is what? Truth. Truth is not subjective. Truth is defined by God. I love that he says, make them holy. I think we throw that word around a lot, and I want to just demystify it for you. The word holy simply means set apart. When you sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, what you're saying is there's no one like you. There's no one like you. And Jesus said, you are to be set apart. You are a set apart generation. He said you you become that set-apart person by learning the truth that is the word of God. Psalm 25, 5, the second half says, guide me in your truth and teach me. We're living in incredible times, a new generation of believers and a new generation of people yet to be saved, people who do not know the saving power of Jesus Christ. And a new generation requires a new tactic, and the enemy is using a new tactic. Women, you've got to know your enemy. This is something I really appreciated about the Pilgrim's Progress because Christian got to know his enemy. He got to understand a tactic that Apollyon would use, and then he never, Apollyon never got the chance to use it again. Why? Because Christian understood the second time around. How many of you have fallen into the same sin over and over and over again? Why do we do that? It's an unwillingness to surrender. It's an unwillingness to say, you know what? Wow, fooled me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It's an unwillingness to take personal responsibility for the fact that we keep falling into the same trap over and over. And one of the things I found fascinating about Pilgrim's Progress is Apollyon never got the same chance twice with Christian. He learned the first time. And he began to study his enemy. Women, if you're not studying your adversary, trust me when I say he is studying you. How many of you have noticed that the enemy knows where to get you? Some of you are like, I can't actually identify with your Netflix things. And others are like, oh man, that's totally me. Is she watching Netflix with me? Right? Because the enemy knows right where your weakness is. And he is going to use that knowledge of watching what you're doing to continue to trip you up. We cannot let him do it. As we talk for just a couple of minutes about what's happening in the culture, you'll see how he's twisted the truth of God's word. I want you to be very still in your spirit and ask the Lord Jesus to open your eyes. On June 26th of 2015, in a decision that was handed down by the Supreme Court, our nation decided that man's law supersedes God's word. In a decision handed down 
by the majority, Justice Kennedy wrote this, no longer may this liberty be denied, he said, in legalizing homosexual marriage. Justice Kennedy wrote for the majority in this historic decision, no union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. He's right. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than they once were. Right again. Do you know why he's right again? Because God instituted marriage to be a picture of Jesus and the church. God instituted marriage, a union designed to be a spiritual connection between a man and a woman. The implications, the spiritual implications of marriage women are staggering. And we deny them to our peril. He went on to say marriage is a keystone of our social order, Justice Kennedy added, saying that the plaintiffs in this case were seeking, quote, equal, equal dignity in the eyes of the law. In remarks at the Rose, in the Rose Garden, President Obama affirmed the decision, saying, and I quote, it affirms what millions of Americans already believe in their hearts. Today, he said, we can say in no uncertain terms that we have made our union a little more perfect. Justice Samuel Alito, in his dissent, saw a broader threat from the majority opinion. This will be used to vilify Americans who are unwilling to assent to the new orthodoxy, he wrote. In the course of its opinion, the majority compares traditional marriage laws to laws that denied equal treatment for African Americans and women. The implications of this analogy will be exploited by those who are determined to stamp out every vestige of dissent. Are you watching what's happening in our court systems right now? Justice Alito was exactly right. This is not about equal dignity under the eyes of the law. This is an affront to God's law. This is an affront to what God says is right. And you know, as I watch this, I'll never forget where I was. I just finished speaking in Los Angeles when the decision was handed down. And we had retreated to a home in Palm Springs, California. Someone had given us their, their home for free in the desert. There's a reason why people don't go to the desert in June. It was like 150 million degrees. So you can't even, you're like, wow, it's sure pretty outside. Open the door, whoo, not going out there, right? And so we were all sort of housebound, sitting in the house, just looking longingly at the pool that I think was like 300 degrees. I don't know, it was pretty hot. But I sat on the couch and my husband and I are listening to the news and I literally started weeping because I knew that suffering would be the sure result. Women, whenever we walk away from the truth of God's word, suffering is always the result. Suffering is always what follows. If I decide to, to uh, ignore the laws of gravity, suffering is going to follow for me. And if ever we decide to walk away from the, from the law of God, doesn't matter if you believe it or not, suffering will be the sure result. And as sure as the word of God rings true, we have seen an incredible scourge of suffering over our country since this decision was handed down by the Supreme Court. Most visibly, we are seeing it in the courts, but now we are also seeing it in the transgender movement, which is a devastating movement. It is having a devastating impact on our children. In Washington State, starting in kindergarten, our children are given the option to choose their gender without the permission or knowledge of their parents. They can get their birth control, they can get their birth certificate uh, altered at their request. This is a denial, women, of reality. And yet, this is what's happening. I was in the Portland airport. I live in the Portland airport. I was there 
uh, just the other day and I saw this book from the back cover of a book called George. This is being marketed to children. It's received Scholastic's highest award. And you can see all of the people that are uh, endorsing it. It says, and I'll read the back for you, when people look at George, they think they see a boy. But she knows she's not a boy. She knows she's a girl. George thinks she'll have to keep this a secret forever, and then her teacher announces that their class is going to be Charlotte is going to uh, class play is going to be Charlotte's Web. George really, really, really wants to play Charlotte, but the teacher says she can't even try out for the part because she's a boy. With the help of her best friend Kelly, George comes up with a plan not just so she can be Charlotte, but so everyone can know who she is once and for all. This was the winner of the Stonewall Book Award and the E.B. White Honor Award. Also was the winner of the Lambda Literary Award, which is a, a homosexual association. People Magazine, this insightful novel will resonate with anyone who's ever felt different. Publishers Weekly, profound, moving, radiant. This book will stay with anyone lucky enough to find it. And Sarah Weeks, the author of another uh, homosexual book said, this is an important book, but more importantly, it's a really good book. That was profound, Sarah, thank you. You know what troubled me the most about this? It's being marketed to children. It's being marketed to children because guess what? The quote, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. People need to understand education is never neutral. It's not neutral in the schools. It's not neutral in your home. It's not neutral in the government. It is not neutral. This is education. This is a turning of the tide in our country. I was on my way home from another event a couple of years ago and I saw an article in Delta Magazine and Sky Magazine and I was picking it up and I was reading it and it was, it was coming up on Christmas times, maybe three years ago. And they were talking about how they're gonna change toys, no longer going to have uh, gender-driven toys. So we're gonna get rid of the pink Legos and just everyone needs the same color Legos and we're not gonna have a girl's section in Target anymore and a boy's section. That's all gonna be the same thing because it's all the same thing. And we're really tired of the binary, which is male and female, except for the fact that God said, in his word, I made them male and female in what? My image. Women, when we mess with God's created order, suffering is the sure result. You have to open your eyes. This is not about love. People are going to, you're going to say, oh no, that's not right because the emperor has no clothes. We can all see it with our eyes, can't we? We can all see what's going on, but we don't want to say anything because they're going to call you, they're going to call you homophobic. They're going to call you transphobic. They're going to say that you're a bigot. They're going to yell at you. Ask me how I know. And they're doing it because the adversary of their soul will do almost anything to keep them in darkness. And you have the light inside of you. A couple of years ago, I was speaking for an Indianapolis homeschool convention, maybe 5,000 people there. And I had the opportunity to, to give the opening keynote address. And I told the board of directors what I was gonna speak about before. It's a similar subject to this. Talking about why I'm teaching my children that gender neutrality is a lie. I'd written the blog post saying why I'm telling my children the truth about their DNA. You can have all kinds of surgery. You can have as much surgery as you want. You will not solve the problem. It doesn't solve the problem because you don't change your DNA. DNA says you are made male or female in the image of God. And so I decided, my husband and I made a conscious decision to tell our children that they, were, that they came just the way God wanted them, beautifully packaged, and God loved them just the way they are. I could hear a VeggieTale song in my head. God made you special, and he loves you very much. Our children don't know that anymore because we've forgotten it ourselves. 
And so we decided to tell our children, you are beautiful the way that God made you, beautiful the way that you came to us. And I began to, to read the clinical definition of delusion. And I read delusion. A delusion basically is when I, let's say I were to look at the outside right now and I say, wow, the sun is bright. You guys would be like, no, no. Actually, you know what? Statistically, you know what you would do? Nothing. Statistically, you would do nothing. Maybe one or two of you would have the courage to say, Heidi, you, you might need to go on some medication because it's dark out there. But the rest of you would be quiet because we're afraid. Transgenderism meets the definition of delusion. And as I said the word delusion in a crowd of 5,000 people, a woman about halfway back stepped up out of her chair and she raised her fist at me and she charged down the, the center aisle. I have never been more scared at a speaking event in my entire life. I have been more scared, but never at a speaking event. And for a moment, I lit you guys, the tension in this nation right now is so thick you can cut it with a knife. Why? Because the spiritual battle is raging around us and Christians have forgotten how to be discerning. And this woman is coming at me and I literally, I told my husband later, I said, I literally thought for a minute, I'm going to die doing, I literally did. I thought, I'm going to die doing this. I don't know what she's bringing up here. I don't know what she's going to do. She was screaming at me, give me your microphone in front of 5,000 people. Give me your microphone. And you know what? Right before I went up on the stage, I felt the Holy Spirit. I, they usually gave me a headset. I'll never wear one again. I felt the Holy Spirit say, mm -mm, not tonight. And I was like, Okay. So the guy said, back in the, behind the stage, he said, no, I said, I don't, I don't want this tonight. Just hand me, give me a handheld microphone. Praise the Lord. Because as she walked up to the platform, I was able to put my microphone behind my back. Can I help you? <laughs> she said, give me your microphone. No. <laughs> she said, I have something I need to say. She said, you're lying to these people. Take the word delusion out of your speech right now. And as I live and breathe, there was a spirit on this woman. You need to understand what you are up against. This is not about a group of people that you should be unloving toward. This is a spirit of deception that has descended on this generation of people unlike anything I have ever seen in my life. And for a moment, it felt like 10 minutes, but I'm sure it was more like two minutes. When I looked up, there were police lining the back of the auditorium. My husband had been called from the main uh, part of the auditorium. My assistant was sitting in the front row to call him. You should probably come in here. Something's happening to your wife. So he came in just in time to watch me, and I was, in, I was like, Father God, help me, help me, help me. I was just talking to all these people about how we are called to speak the truth in love. And now he's saying, here, Heidi, why don't you model it? And so, with an authority that comes from the, from, the, from the Spirit of God, which you have, by the way, every single one of you has that authority. I looked at her and I said, sit down. And under my breath, I was like, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> sit down. And you know what she did? She sat down. There is no power under heaven that is greater than the power of the Lord of heaven's armies. And you are daughters of the King of Kings. You are daughter. No weapon formed against you will prosper. 
And as I asked her to sit down, you know what she did? She never took her eyes off of me. She backed about to where this row is right now. She backed up until she felt a seat behind her and then she sat down. She locked eyes with me. I had 20 more minutes to speak. My knees were knocking. My hands were sweaty. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I'm not wearing a headset right now because I'd be like, oh my God. Everyone would have heard me. And after this was over, this woman came back to me behind the stage and I said to her, I said, I will talk to you when this is over. This is not your time to talk. I will talk to you when this is over. And so sure enough, when it was over, I asked security to bring her back behind the platform. And I want you to hear this part because it's so important that you understand what you're dealing with. When she came back to talk to me, I said, what is going on? Why are you here? And she said, well, I'm here because I'm considering taking my child out of public school. And I said, all right. But she said, you've got to take the word delusion out of your speech. I said, no. She said, yes. And I said, no. I said, I will not take it out because that's exactly what's happening. And she said, you're wrong. She said, I had a dream. God came to me in a dream a couple of nights ago. And he told me that this is how he made this generation of children. And you know what I said to her with all the power that comes from the Holy Spirit and the Lord of heaven's armies? I said, God would never lie to you. That wasn't God. God is never going to tell you something contrary to his word. And she began to cry. You have to understand the pain that is behind this. When we are unkind to people for the sake of being unkind, it grieves the Lord. He loves her. He loves her. And she said, Heidi, my child started out in the public school system in Annapolis two years ago. And began to teach the children about transgenderism. And by the time he went into first grade, his very best friend had decided that he was going to change his name to a girl's name and be, a, and be known as a girl. And the next year, two more kids did the same thing. And she said, my son came to me last week and said he also thinks he might be a girl. Listen, I, I didn't tell her this, but I was thinking, man, there were seasons when my kids thought that they were unicorns. I had my children, and many times, children are so, they are, their minds are so pliable. Why do you think that the enemy is going after children? Because their minds are so pliable, and their hearts are so vulnerable. And if we don't stand in the gap for them, who is going to do it? Who is going to do it? You have an opportunity. I put my arms around this woman, and I said, God loves your son the way he came to you. And our boys need to know that they are loved and cherished. It's one more reason why I loathe the feminist movement. You do not have to tear down one gender to build up another. That is the adversary. It is. And a woman with discernment, a Christian woman with discernment, would never participate in the women's march. That's all I have to say about that. That is not the spirit of the living God. Do you know how many of my women Christian friends participated in that march? I think all heaven is weeping. God would never have you tear down a gender that he created in order to build up another one. That is never the heart of God. This requires discernment, women. It requires discernment. It requires boldness. It will require you to step out of your comfort zone and say, Father, this is how I fight my battles. 
I'm going to fight him with your truth. I'm going to fight him in your power. I'm going to fight him with the knowledge that I am who you say I I am. I am not who they say I am. I am who God says that I am. God says I am chosen, redeemed, blessed, set free. He says I'm a new creature. Know who God says you are, women, so that when you step onto the battlefield, your eyes can be open to the war that's raging around you and then walk out in victory because God wants to give it to you. The next thing I'm going to, I'm going to try to play a video for you. And I want to show you something because this is another thing we're struggling with. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to watch it with me for just a minute. And I'm going to ask you a question and see if you can pick up on this. Please, Lord, help the video to work. We'll see. Marriage, gay and straight, is a gift to the world because the world needs more, not less. Love, fidelity, commitment, devotion, and sacrifice. I think it's great that you all made a conscious choice to include gay marriage. Former Pastor Rob Bell and his wife. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, That's Oprah. Because one of the oldest aches in the bones of humanity is loneliness. I mean, it's one of the things that goes way, way back. Loneliness is not good for the world. And so, whoever you are, gay or straight, it is totally normal, natural, and healthy to want somebody to go through life with. It's, it's central to our humanity. Yeah. We want someone to go on the journey with. When is the church going to get that? Listen up. We're close, I, I think. think it's evolving. I think mm-hmm. it's... Lots of people are already there. We think it's inevitable, and it's, we're moments. A moment away, away from the church yeah, accepting it. Really? Absolutely. Because as soon as you meet someone, and most of the time when people have resistance to this, and I say that. You, you think we're moments away. I think culture is already there, okay. and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. <laughs> Did you catch what he said? He said the church will become even. This is a pastor. Yes. I know he was. I'm going to get to that. Listen, my husband and I have been in ministry for nearly 30 years. We used this man's material with our youth group. He spoke truth. He's not speaking it anymore. It is so easy to get pulled off the path. It is so easy for us to walk away from the truth. He said the church will become more and more irrelevant as long as it continues to quote letters from 2,000 years ago as its best defense. Women, those letters from 2,000 years ago are your only defense. This is your only defense. Do you notice what he never did? Not a single time in his, in his apologetics tour for what God says is sin and ultimately brings suffering and death with it. He never He never referenced the word of God a single time. Why? Because his position is indefensible in scripture. Indefensible. It doesn't mean that we don't love people. You've got to be able to speak the truth in love and you can do it because Jesus did it. You can do it because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So then that begs the question, what does God say? So we're going to spend the next couple minutes just talking about this. I want you to understand what it looks like to be a discerning Christian. The first thing you're going to do is resist a worldly interpretation. 
That's what Rob Bell was doing. He was giving you a worldly interpretation of marriage. We're gonna talk for just a minute about emotional versus biblical reasoning. We're living in a generation of Christians who are making emotional arguments for spiritual problems. You've got to remove your emotions from it and look at what the word of God says. Second Timothy chapter four, verses two to five, preach the word of God. This is Paul's exhortation to a young Timothy. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Listen, women, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Listen, Oprah Winfrey, and I'm sure she's a wonderful person, is a false teacher. She is a universalist. She believes there are many ways to heaven. Don't send somebody to Oprah for the gospel. In fact, don't send them anywhere. Send them to you. You tell them the gospel. Stop sending them to your pastor. Put on your armor. You know, your pastor's not supposed to suit up for you. You're supposed to suit up for yourself. This is his role, discerning spirit. That's the first thing you're gonna do is stop making emotional arguments for spiritual problems. The next thing a discerning spirit will do is look inward and repent. That means we stop looking at all the other people first and we go, Father, open my eyes to my own sin. Make my spirit sensitive so that when I'm watching things on Netflix that bum you out, I can feel your spirit within me. Second Chronicles 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. Repentance in the Greek means menanya, a change of mind. It means to turn around, to turn from their wicked ways Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Listen, repentance only comes to those who are willing to humble themselves. No one who is full of pride can repent because repentance requires an acknowledgement of our own sinfulness and our desperate need for forgiveness. We have to rid ourselves of pride because when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God's grace to be received. A discerning spirit will be resolutely committed to applying God's word correctly. This is so important. This is why you study the word at church. This is why I encourage you to be in God's word every single day. You can't afford, you would not go a day without drinking water. And the Bible says that you were born thirsty, that your soul is thirsty for the word of God, thirsty for the living God. You get it by being in his word every day. You've got to be committed to applying his word correctly. That's why the apostle said, be prepared to give an answer. How many of you in this room, you don't have to raise your hand. I want you to think with me for just a minute. How many of you in this room are prepared right now to give an answer? The Bible says we are supposed to be prepared to give an answer. We want to apply God's word correctly. There's two ways we want to learn how to do it already. Write this down. This is the first way, with grace and humility. We apply God's word correctly with grace and humility. That's the speaking part, the truth. How? In love. We speak the truth in love. We apply it with grace and humility and without legalism. Remember I was talking about that earlier this morning. That's when we, that's when we pendulum swing over to the law and we look at everything as a, as a list and we don't get to the root. We're always just examining the fruit. We don't want to be caught doing that. A discerning spirit will pray for wisdom. The Bible says in James chapter one, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask it of God 
who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Proverbs 2, verses 3 to 5, pray for wisdom. Cry out for, under, cry out for insight. Ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. And then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain the knowledge of God. This is not just some, some trite little saying. This is a promise from the word of God that if you pray for wisdom and you cry out for understanding, you will get the knowledge of God. He will give it to you. And guess what, women? He's not gonna give it to you until you need it. Remember we talked about this last night? Rarely early, never late. When that woman was charging at me from the back, from the middle of that room of 5,000 people, when she was heading my direction, I'm telling you what, I was like, oh Lord, I do not know what to do. I don't know what to do. And he, I could just feel him, just like he'd said to me a few minutes earlier, take the headset off. I could hear him say, I got this. I got it. The Lord will fight for you. He will speak through you. You belong to him. You are his daughter. You are his daughter. A discerning spirit will stand on the word of God. We stand on the word of God. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I fear for Rob Bell. I fear for him. The Bible says that teachers will be held to a greater account. I fear for someone who claims the name of Jesus and can twist the word of God to fit a narrative that the culture is pushing right now. Women, we should be in fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of a holy God who says one day he will judge us. He will. I know it's a crowd shrinker. He will. We want to walk in right relationship with him. A discerning spirit will stand on the word of God. And finally, a discerning spirit will be motivated by love. In other words, when you recognize that God is asking you to step out into the deep, your motivation should never be because you want to show somebody up or because you want to show your amazing knowledge of the word. Look how amazing I am. I just memorized the whole book of James. I'm going to quote it for you. God doesn't care about that. Our motivation should be God's heart. Do you know what motivated God to send his only son to the cross to die for you? It was love. Love did that. Love should motivate you. That's why I said earlier when I said it bothers me so much that this, this young author is saying that some of her best friends are gay. You know what I want to say? You don't really love your friends. Love tells the truth. Love tells the truth at the risk of losing a friendship. Love tells the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is God. God is love. And if you want to love somebody, tell them the truth. Stand on the word of God, be motivated by love, and then learn to take your thoughts captive. We talked about this last night. This is the beginning of the pilgrimage. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You notice how the apostle is instructing you to take your thoughts captive. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So when you're struggling with a bad attitude, who is the boss of your thoughts? That's right. You are the boss of your thoughts. When you recognize that you are in a pattern of wrong thinking, and I just encourage you to declare out loud who you are and begin to change the pattern of your thinking, God will help you do it. 
He will help you do it. And finally, 2 Timothy, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, and it goes on to say, but of power and love and a sound mind. Years ago, I started designing jewelry. I did it for myself because I was struggling, wrestling so much with fear, and I realized that God was asking me to stand up in front of people. And so I had a pendant made, and it had 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, rather, 1, 7 on it. And it said fearless on one side and the reference on the other. And I'm still creating jewelry that, like that because I think it's important for you women to have a touchstone that reminds you every time you look in the mirror, you see that arrow. I think mothers, we think of it, right? That God gave our children to us. The Bible says in Psalm 127, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. But I don't want you to forget this piece of it. You are an arrow. It's easy for us to think about our children as being heirs in the hands of a warrior. We're a warrior. We're going to get out there and take care of our children. But you know what? Your parents had you as an arrow. You are God's arrow. Every single one of you. And God is aiming your arrow toward truth, toward heaven. We are going home. Understand the battle that you're in. We're going to take the next few minutes. The worship team is going to come up and we're going to enter into a time of worship and a time of reflection. And I want to encourage you right now, you can go ahead and put your notebooks away, put them underneath your seat or next to you, or if you're a kid, give them to your mom. That's what we always do. <laughs> but I want to encourage you to really ask the Lord to show you the condition of your own heart. I know that in a room this big, and we, we started out right this evening talking about this. I know that in a room this big, there are a lot of you in here with struggles, and a lot of you in here struggling with fear, and a lot of you are in here struggling with abandonment and wondering if God really loves you, and I promise you there are women in here who have never accepted the Lord Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and so I'm going to walk you through it really quickly because I want you to understand the gospel. Everything that we say in this room is worth nothing if you don't understand the gospel, if you don't understand how loved you are and that God loved you and he sent his son for you and that you have been ransomed, bought with a price and he loves you and he asks you to turn from your sin. The Bible teaches us that sin separates us from God and that God in his mercy looked down on us. Even though we had turned our back on him and we shook our angry fist at him, he decided to make the ultimate sacrifice in sending his son to die, a cruel death on a cross. Did you know that the Romans used crucifixion? It was the cruelest method of execution that they could come up with. And the Lord Jesus took that form of punishment the Bible says he took your sin upon himself. He took the weight of your sin so that you wouldn't have to bear it. He became sin for you so that you could become the righteousness of God. And you accept that righteousness by simply opening up your hands and your heart to the Lord and saying, Father, I accept your gift. I recognize that I have sinned before you, Lord, forgive me to my heart. Change me. I want to give you an opportunity right now. If there's anyone in this room, we've been talking all weekend about the importance of declaring. There is power, women, in your words. 
And the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in this room right now. If there's anyone in this room, close your eyes, heads down. If there's anyone in this room who would like to accept the Lord Jesus as our Savior, I'm going to ask you to do something brave. I'm going to ask you to get up and come up here. There are women here who are ready to pray with you and ready to teach you what it means to start out in a relationship with Jesus that will bring you to victory and peace. So if there's anyone right now, I'm just gonna invite you. If you're saying in your heart, if your heart's beating really fast, it's probably you. If your heart's beating fast and your palms are sweating, you're like, man, I just don't know. But you can feel the Holy Spirit inviting you. Can I just encourage you right now, come up out of your chair and come to the front. There are women here who will pray with you. God wants to welcome you into his family. There is power in prayer. And the Lord is calling you. He's saying, I love you. Don't let another day go by without inviting the Lord to come into your life. He's the chain breaker. He's got healing for you and freedom and peace. He's got heaven for you. Eternity is waiting for you and you get to choose. Will you spend an eternity with with the Lord or will you reject his free gift? Got women coming forward right now. If you would like to come forward, the next thing I'm gonna do is ask you and invite you if you're sitting here this weekend and you recognize that this has been happening, this that you have not been discerning in your life, if you recognize that you've been allowing the enemy to take your thoughts captive and you say, Lord, I want to rededicate my life to you. I'm going to start over. I'm going to start again tonight. Go ahead and get up out of your chair and come forward. We want to pray with you. If that's you, come on up. Come on down. We're going to pray with you. You can come and stand at the front. God has healing for you. He wants you to start again. Did you know that you serve a Savior who forgives and heals and He gives you fresh starts and starts again? He doesn't care where you've been. The Bible says, I forget the things that are behind me. And instead, I turn my eyes heavenward toward Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith. And He said, I am making you new. I'm making you new. So we're going to be quiet for just a few minutes. We're going to give you a chance to come forward. And the staff's going to come up here and we're going to pray with you. If there's a friend sitting next to you and you know she needs prayer, come up with her. It's a brave thing, but the Bible says he wants you to declare it. There's power in your declaration, women. There's power in it. Don't miss an opportunity tonight. Don't miss it. Come on down.